Hello Orphic Nation, I'm your host Kuldeep Chaudhary. Welcome to episode 5. Let's stretch your mind muscle with the story of Richard Nixon in this episode. Richard Nixon, a person who influenced America, made a statement of making America great again before the statement, make America great again, was introduced. So what was his journey? What were his loopholes? What were his experience? How was his personality? Let's find out in this episode. So without further ado, let's roll the intro. Richard Nixon, born on January 9, 1913. Nixon's parents owned a grocery in California. Nixon excelled academically and studied law for several years, joined a theatre where he married a fellow artist with whom he had his two lovely daughters. Thereafter, he joined US Navy and after the war, he ran for the Congress. He also worked as a member in American Activist Committee. Now, why am I telling you this? Because I want to give you the context of how Richard Nixon was a common man with a hustling spirit, always hustling, always ready to work hard and aiming to make an impact which would leave a legacy in this world. Everyone could see it. Nixon had that personality, that charm, that energy that would steal everyone's heart. But if you know about who Richard Nixon was, then you'll probably know that he resigned before his presidential period was over due to Watergate investigation in which Nixon's dark side came out in front of the world that he wished never came out. What was Watergate investigation? We'll find out. The thing you'd ask is, what happened in between that made a man like Richard Nixon, the 37th president, Mr. President of United States of America, resign? Let's find out. On November 5th, 1968, Republican Richard Nixon accomplished the greatest comeback in political history, narrowly defeating his competition Hubert Humphrey to be the 37th Mr. President of United States of America. It was eight years ago that he lost his attempt at presidency against John F. Kennedy in a devastating fashion. Everyone knows how devastating it was. Fast forward two years, he tasted the experience of defeat on a journey to govern California. And media does what media does. It hounded and provoked him throughout the campaigning process. Nixon addressed the media one day after his defeat, exclaiming and concluding, quote, just think how much you are going to be missing out. You won't have Nixon to kick around anymore because gentlemen, this is my last press conference. Again, media does what media does. ABC News ran a half an hour special called The Political Arbitrary of Richard Nixon. A Time Magazine article concluded that barring a miracle, Richard Nixon can never hope to be elected at any political office again. In essence, he was bullied by the press. But Richard Nixon was an ordinary man with an extraordinary mindset. All of this crisis that Nixon faced, he experienced, never discouraged him, but only fueled him to stand taller and stronger against them. And improvising through the thick and thin, as a young man, his creative mind dreamt of joining an Ivy League school, which in turn would complement him attaining power in America. Young Richard Nixon was exceptionally ambitious, but every story in that beautiful, his family was financially broken for such an 
education but every story has a hero too and in this one it is richard nixon the hero who learns the lesson he overcame this encumbrance by transforming himself into an invincible student with an iron butt now iron butt was his nickname that fellow mates and students gave him observing his inhuman work habit and work ethic young nixon managed to land a scholarship at duke university he endured the hard work that he had to do to keep that scholarship it was to top the class every time which according to the facts he did he worked for a few years for senate rolling back to 1952 dwight d eisenhower the 34th president of united states of america chose him to be his running mate sir vice president but to his dismay all he got was regret nixon kept a secret fund from the republican party that he supposedly used for private purposes but factually eisenhower wasn't really comfortable around nixon nixon was innocent of the charges this was only a chance and the green flag to get rid of him for eisenhower Once Once again he rose to the challenge of appearing live in front of millions and proving his innocence through speech defending against charges his defense worthy being taken into consideration he went to serve for 8 years as vice president so crushing defeats of 1960 and 1962 would again be the means of toughening him up and resurrecting his career nixon had this thick skin with the desire always to level up he laid low for a few years and then came back charging for 1968 elections when he came back he knew that what were his flaws what were his weaknesses he came back changed now nixon was a man who was calm composed like bowling and some corny jokes coming back he ran one of the most effortless campaigns delivered with sharpness in modern history he gave all of his haters one more reason to hate by defeating hubert humphrey getting the tag of mr president reached the apex bar but there was one more challenge but there was one more challenge one more thing that stood there and seemingly the greatest of all Nixon's liberal enemies saw him as an political animal who wouldn't even think once before involving any trickery to win the election. East Coast elites hated him because he was from a salt town like Whittier, California. Nixon was determined to prove all of them wrong. He was more than they ever thought he could ever be, an idealist at heart and not a ruthless politician getting sold. He wanted them to know that his mother, Hannah, raised him valuing the importance of treating people equally and promoting people. People. For the sake of his mother who passed away earlier that year he wanted every single one of his skeptics to realize that how unhumanly they misread him Charles de Gaulle was his inspiration Nixon admired him to the core on instances he also met de Gaulle de Gaulle had a personality which radiated love and authority for the country and outshined others with a command for respect Richard Nixon had these notebooks that actually we all have Nixon referred himself as RN his alter ego cuz he liked hip hop um just joking rn was his extension or version that was about to lead the united states of america and he was absolute about what rn's personality would be like he would be strong compassionate yet completely masculine now all of the daydreaming is good everybody can have their own fairy tales nixon was about to lead a country where major chunk was witnessing riots and to protests and exponentially rising unethical work rates such as crime the dream of ending the war and achieving the world peace was seen with the eyes open he wanted to make america great again even before the statement make america great again came into existence to leave behind a legacy he had to work like his idols who were abraham lincoln woodrow wilson etc as soon as the presidential period began he assembled the top 
top-notch cabinet which had the presence of what we call excellence. Nixon was precise of which people his staff comprised. Well, he preferred a trait that we all do, loyalty. The members of the staff were young men, naming Bob Holman, John Elrichman, John Dean, Charles Colson. Nixon didn't want intellectuals around him. He wanted go-getters. Now, anyone would say, what a fool. A president leading a country, performing a job with responsibility should have advisory and brains around him to push the limits of his thinking. And Richard Nixon thought the same, my friend. He was not artless. He was well-versed with the fact that loyalty in politics is short-lived. After a short period of time, as the presidency started, he installed a smart taping system throughout the White House, which needed maintenance of secrecy. With this taping system, Nixon would watch every move of his staff and monitor who tried to turn against him, monitoring who in future might turn out a deserter. And most eminent of all, when his period was over for Mr. President, these tapes would represent of how genuinely and rationally Nixon thought how great the RN, aka Richard Nixon, was. This is what he thought legacy to be. As the primary years went through, Nixon was on his heels, executing his plans. He signed bills to protect the health of workers and rights of consumers. On diplomatic and foreign relations front, he struggled to win down the war in Vietnam. Thereafter, the blueprint was laid down for his visit to Soviet Union and his victorious trip to China and signing a law agreement with Soviets to limit the proliferation of nuclear weapons. He had all the plans, but man, this was just the start. Despite the evenness of the former organized and productive years of Nixon's presidency, something started surfacing beneath his soul. Anxiety that he was unable to control. The bitterness that was piled up with all these negative emotions inside. It started to come out on slightest of instances. When staff said, cheers, let's have some drinks, he would be the master in storytelling about his past and in the process, he would share his political experiences and wounds. Bitterness could be seen. He told his staff how he was humiliated for attending a low-grade college, how the East Coast elites kept him and his wife, Pat, out of the social circles in order to obstruct the formation of network and allies. Nixon was determined to destroy all the challenges, but the thing that pissed him off was the hypocrisy of these elites and he hated it. As he went deeper and deeper in his past stories with his staff, he still believed that these enemies were working against him. There were people from media like Daniel Shore, Catherine Graham. There were people like Larry O'Brien who played it against Nixon. Larry O'Brien was a devil in Nixon's eyes. There were people playing against him in every single corner, spying on him to get embarrassing leakages, turning the press against him by playing negative stories. He would ask his staff, what are we doing to stop this? What are the efforts we are putting in from our end? This was worsening. The media highlighting Nixon's incompetency to deliver his strategy for Vietnam War administration. This increased toxicity and Nixon was angry and frustration kept piling up. Once, one of his staff member calls in, talked about getting revenge from some opponents. Nixon joined in and exclaimed, one day we'll get them. We'll get them on the ground where we want them. And then we'll stick our heels, step on them hard. Right, huh? On one instance, when Nixon was informed about many of the staff members at the Bureau of Labor Statistics were Jews, he felt that Jews were the reason of some bad economic numbers. He quoted, the government is full of Jews. He ordered Holman, one of his staff members, please get me the name of Jews you know, the big Jewish contributors to Democrats. Could we please investigate some of the cocksuckers? Yes, this was the actual language he used. Nixon began to feel increasingly anxious. It felt like something was falling apart. He badgered his staff to promote his leadership style. On how great he was, he wanted them to refer him as Mr. Peace in interviews. He wanted to know if elites were now changing their minds. In 1972, despite his nervousness, certain events 
friends were lining up well for him. The re-election senator was behind in terms of polls, but Nixon wanted a knockout. He wanted to make this one-sided. He knew that people like Larry O'Brien have this secret move. He ordered Holman to assemble a group of nutcutters to do the necessary unethical work with utmost efficiency. To Nixon's disappointment, in June, he was enlightened while reading the news highlights in the morning with the tea. He noticed the break-in at the Watergate Hotel, in which a bunch of men tried to tape the office of Larry O'Brien. This was the game changer. There were three names on the arrest list. James McCord, E. Howard Hunt, G. Gordon Liddy. It was also discovered that these people were somehow connected to the committee for re-election of President Nixon. Nixon thought that this was a move by Democrats because he or his men wouldn't set up such incompetent men. He would take no half measures. Yes, he was not Emmentrot, but okay. A few days later, discussing the issue with Holman, he found out that FBI is now taking the charge for the case. Three men who were involved in the break-in were found out to be CIA agents, in essence, Central Investigation Agency agents. Holman pitched of getting someone from top CIA's authority to pressurize FBI's agents to drop the investigation. Nixon, on the other end, clarified he would not get involved in any event of this series. It would hurt his reputation. Holman agreed, saying that he didn't want him to get involved. Nixon made his move. He ordered his counsel, John Deere, to be the operative head for the internal investigation and cover up the connections of FBI and White House. Nixon was never involved in the break-in, nor was he involved in the break-in indirectly. Watergate would end up being another dirty deed in the political history that no one would ever discover. Public paid negligible attention. Bravo. He was absolutely right. Biggest landslide in electoral history. He wept every state excluding Massachusetts and the District of Columbia. Now he added four more years to this timeline of legacy. Now, the Watergate issue felt like a boomerang to Nixon. It kept coming back. Whenever he did something to push it away, it came back. January 1973, Senate decided to launch an investigation and in March, James McCord spilled the beans, implicating various members of the White House being involved in order to grab more info about the break-in of Watergate. The way out of this for Team Nixon was to hire a private lawyer and proceed investigation with full support and cooperation of Nixon and his teammates, bringing the important details to notice. Nixon's reputation would suffer. Some would even have to go to jail, but at last, it would keep him politically alive. He was the master at the art of rising again after hitting the rock bottom. Nixon, however, could not take this step. Thinking of this terrified him to death. In meetings, he continued to discuss about cover-up and where they could come up with moves. Dean warned him and cautioned him to not to get involved to this degree. But next, Dean observed that Nixon was amused by the mess he created all around. It was as if this was attracting him. He was unable to push this away from himself. Soon he had to fire Holman and Elrichman, two of the staff members who were involved in the break-in. When it came to delivering news to them, he broke down and sobbed. But there seemed nothing that he actually did to stop this from happening. This got closer and closer. He felt trapped. On July 19th, 1973, there was a bad news. He was informed that the Senate committee has learned about the secret taping system within the White House and they demanded it to be handed over as an evidence. Now, Nixon could visualize the embarrassment he would feel if the tapes went public. He imagined how he would be trolled and laughed over. Quote, the Richard Nixon, RNB, Serenity, all of this would come to an end. This would become food for media, which in his perception already hated him. Every bit of this new identity that he built would come to 
dust. Think of the language he used, talking shit about Jews and the elites and Democrats. His image, his legacy that he strived for would be ruined in a single blow. He was thinking about his family. They had never seen him like this. It felt like a split personality disorder. Alexander Haig, one of his staff members, advised him to destroy the taping system before they received the officials from FBI. Nixon's mind was clouded with thoughts. His body freezed. On one hand, these tapes were the documentation of all the great initiatives he took and delivered them successfully. On the other, it was the evidence of the dark side of Richard Nixon that only a few people knew about. He went back and forth in his mind and ended up not destroying them. He decided not to hand them over, exercising the executive privilege. Finally, in 1974, when the pressure couldn't be handled by Nixon, the edited transcript of these tapes were released in a form of 1,200-page book. People were shocked when they saw Nixon who talked about peace, who talked about serenity, carrying out unethical activities. Family members saw a whole new side of Richard Nixon. When it came to Watergate investigation, he never showed the slightest interest in discovering who did the wrong and punish them accordingly. Where was the man who believed in law and order? On July 24 came the final blow. Supreme Court ordered to hand over the tapes to the judicial authorities and in the conversation of June 23, 1972, in which Nixon said and approved CIA to quash the FBI investigation, he was doomed. Everything was against him. He decided to resign. The morning after he delivered his resignation speech to the country, Nixon addressed his staff for the one last time. Controlling his emotions, he concluded, Never get discouraged. Never be petty. Always remember, others may hate you, but those who hate you wouldn't win unless you hate them back and destroy yourself. Nixon had split sides to his personality, one dark and one bright. The bright side's traits were considerate, caring, sentimental, whereas the dark side's traits were being angry angry, vindictive, ill-tempered. This observation was made by one of the staff members working with him closely. Now, if you remember the lesson from episode 4, you'd remember me sharing the importance of parental behavior forming the personality of a child. Nixon had an abusive father, but a caring mother, who had to take care of Richard's two brothers who were in bed, dying with illness, weakness. The mother devoted herself to them, and Richard was all alone. From a young age, he had to fight for attention and manipulate his parents to give more time to him than usual, which resulted in him building the behavior patterns that are found in people who feel unloved. Whenever there is a feeling of not being loved, there is a need for a father figure or a mother figure, or both in regards to who was present and who wasn't. The best thing you can do is to sit with yourself and reflect what are your behavior patterns. Do you get angry easily? What makes you anxious? What makes you feel insecure? What is it that is in your hands and you can take action towards it and fix it? When it comes to dealing with the problem of not having a mother or a father figure in life, find authentic mentors from whom you can learn the craft you want and build a healthy relationship with them. This will do a lot. This will be very fruitful to you. Reflecting on what you feel on a daily basis and why do you feel it and what you can do to make it better is a must. Nixon felt unloved and he was unaware of the patterns that he developed growing up that in long term were lethal and costed him his career. It is mandatory to shake hands with your dark side and equip yourself for the best. The second lesson from this episode you can get is to not manifest even a single ounce of energy even to think about your haters. Yes, haters play a great role in someone's story. They fuel you up but when you start doing it only because you want to prove them wrong, the power is shifted to them, not to you. 
Most of the time, people's goal is to piss their haters off. What if the thick-skinned hater doesn't get pissed off? What if he's like, yeah, I have no reason but your work is shit. Even if I don't rationalize it, it's shit. You should respect yourself that you got some haters. Don't give them your energy and sacrifice your peace. This is a basic human tendency to be liked by people who are hard to get, hard to manage, or by whom we are fascinated. Nixon had the same case. He wanted the elites to think good of him, not as a trickster, but a person with noble traits and conviction. But the thing is, it was their thinking. It depends on them what they think. It might be possible that even if Nixon was able to eradicate world hunger and poverty all by himself, the elites still won't like him because of the personal grudges or other issues. The focus here is you shouldn't live for other people but yourself. You cannot control their decisions, their opinions, their preferences, their choices, but you have yourself. You need to focus on the things that satisfy your inner self. If you like sketching, then fucking do it. Learn the nitty gritty part, learn the know-how, learn the technicality and do it until it's done to its top-notch quality. You need to have the power to satisfy yourself and not give that power to someone else because when you shift that power in someone else's hands, they might misuse it, they might do anything. Your homework is to analyze your behavior patterns and get to know more about yourself. Sit with yourself. What are your reactions? What are your behavior patterns? Learn more about Ikigai, which is a Japanese secret to a healthy and happy life. With this, I'll see you in the next episode of The Orphic Show. Thank you.